You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is... AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. Stuart Goldsmith here, and here is another dip into the Concompendium, the archive of older and elderly episodes from the last 10 years of the Comedians Comedian podcast, which I am spraying at you. Why would I say that? Uh, which I am delivering politely to your ears uh, in order that we uh, celebrate uh, those that have gone before and also uh, to keep the feed alive whilst I work on the big book, um, which is killing me at the moment, particularly because I've started um, uh, writing in earnest on, on this year's Edinburgh show, which I'm so excited about. But writing, I'm sort of writing three big projects at once. And I'm not the sort of person that normally does that many things. Um, so it is a challenge. Having said that, you do have the chance to come and see uh, me at the Vault Festival which is very exciting. That's like an exciting Cool Kids Festival in London. So I hope you'll consider coming along to that, which is on the 8th of March. So come along and see me there at the 8th of March. You can see me before then if you're in Leicester at the Comedy Festival uh, on the 25th of February, uh, doing a similar work in progress at the same show. And I'm also going to be at Top Secret Comedy in Drury Lane in London's glittering and frightening West End on the 18th of March. So um, you can come and see me at one of those. To find links for those, go and follow at ComComPod on Twitter if you use that platform. Um, and there's a sort of general link in like it's a link tree which then maps into loads of other link trees very exciting but if you basically go to linktra.ee slash Stuart Goldsmith you can find out all about that stuff more from me in the middle for now we are going to hear from Mr Ramesh Ranganathan who very kindly came and appeared at a live uh, edition of the podcast at Soho Theatre in I mean 2016 which by my reckoning was about five minutes ago but apparently is longer uh, we're going to talk um, about what do we talk about? Stealing jokes from a book in a Pontins talent competition age nine. Um, we're going to talk about the benefits of a supportive spouse um, and discover uh, that <laughs> Ramesh's wife gave birth when he was doing the Edinburgh Festival. Outrageous. Um, we'll, we'll talk about uh, his Live at the Apollo set, which at that time was very recent, but he's gone on to, I think he's probably hosted it by now, if not turned up several times. Um, and uh, we are going to talk about, and this is particularly exciting, I think, the larval state of his early material being so bad that it makes him want to give up comedy, which is manna from heaven to all creatives. So this is Romish Ranganathan from 2016. Um, and I saw Rom recently. He was on the Graham Norton show and I saw him backstage and he was looking very slim and dapper as you might. Have you noticed this? This is a thing that happens when people start getting very successful, particularly with men. I notice I've seen this here and there. Men, once they are successful and have options and presumably not loads of time. I know they're all very busy people, but staff, <laughs> maybe not permanent staff, but a lot of the minutiae, I imagine, is taken out of their lives. And so they go, I'm going to get myself a personal trainer. And then they either slim down, in Rom's case, or bulk up. Uh, I saw I saw some of Paul Smith's content recently. The man's absolutely enormous. Anyway, enough of that. This is Romish Ranganathan from 2016. And I'll speak to you very briefly in the middle. Enjoy. <laughs> Thanks for coming, Ron. Thanks for having me. Very excited. Excellent. <laughs> Let's start with the very first thing. Now, we've, we've, we've had to sort of 
we had interesting conversations backstage and repeatedly had to say... Oh, he's such a prick, isn't he? <laughs> anyway, but we can't tell you who we're talking about. Oh, what a wanker. No, I'm joking. Dude. <laughs> oh, shit. No, no he is a prick. No, he is, no, a, he prick. is a prick. So, let's start then with your... The very first thing you said when you came on stage, you said, great to be here, and everyone laughed. This is the Romesh Ranganathan stock in trade being professionally unimpressed with things. <laughs> It's, I mean, I didn't realise until I saw Asian Provocateur how much I wanted to watch you wander around paradise being <laughs> unimpressed with it. <laughs> Let's talk about that, that thing that you bring to the stage, more so than a, a great many other comedians, which is a combination of sort of... It's sort of auth, authorial disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't... Um... It's not a, it's not a thing that, um, I'm consciously doing. I think it's just, uh, it's just how I am, I guess. I, I, I suppose, you know, cause sort of some people have said to me, you are, you're such a grumpy bastard, like on stage, is that, that can't be real. How, uh, horrible you are. Not horrible, but like sort of how made you are. Finally, fucking hell, I'm parched over <laughs> Jesus Christ, I'm, Thank you so much. I'm drying up. I don't know if you heard this answer, it's dog shit. But, um, uh, <laughs> but, um, but basically, um, I don't think it is. Thank you very much. I don't think it is. I think that, um, it's just how I genuinely feel. I sort of, uh, I don't really get excited by much, I suppose. And so, uh, I sort of feign excitement in social situations because you're supposed to, aren't you? If somebody tells you something, you have to, I'm you have to look impressed or, or happy about it. But I, I don't necessarily... Uh, you don't have to do that on stage. You can just sort of be whatever you want, and and it's fine, I guess, isn't it? Except for not funny. People don't go for that. But apart from that, you can be whatever you want. But you would probably agree that... Uh, sorry to blow the gaff here. Backstage five minutes ago, you were a little bit more chipper than this. So there is an extent to which you're putting on your public face. Uh... Well, that's a very good question, Stu. I, I, uh, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I haven't thought about it, to be honest with you. Okay. I, I don't, I don't uh, for example, I'm not about to go on stage and think, right, time to get cunty. Do you know what I, mean? I, I just, I just sort of... Uh, I come Potential on... show title <laughs> for the next tour. <laughs> hey, guys, time to get cunty, yeah. Um, no, it's just, I guess it's just how I feel comfortable on stage, I guess. That's, that's, uh, that, yeah, that is it. That is it. That so, is it. I've stumbled across the answer. Okay. So the, the other thing that you have on stage, I think, is you have tremendous authority. You really look like you not just own the space, but I noticed on some of you, I was watching a lot of your YouTube videos, clips of TV and stuff. Thank you. Thank you. There's a lot of stuff available. Check it out. Even... <laughs> Well, something you should definitely check out after you've enjoyed the video. Look down and see that even the negative comments kind of respect you. <laughs> like, almost no one is calling you a wanker. People are like, I'm trying to remember exactly Mate, what you, you said. Mate, you haven't seen my Twitter feed. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. But there's some, someone like, in fact, it was the comment section under an, an article in The Guardian that, uh, that was about the TV show, it was about uh, Asian Provocateur, uh, for which you have been recently baffed and nominated. Many congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> I, I threw that to the audience and 50% of them were impressed. Yeah, so that's yeah, yeah. nice to see. Not heard of BAFTA. <laughs> but there is, there, there was a comment underneath it whereby, like, I had to look 10 comments down to find anything remotely negative. And that is, even, by the way, that's terrifying that you're looking at those comments, by the way. That's... Yeah, well, it's important for me to know what insane people on the internet think about you. But they even, someone said something negative. They said, yeah, he thinks he's clever. And then they said, I mean, he may be clever, but I'm just not getting it. And I thought, that's the most respectful slam that I've ever seen of anyone. And I did wonder, now listen, I've got to try and uh, quote this. This is we, We're going to do a listener question very early on. This okay. is from Robin Hughes. Mr. Ranganathan oh, was Christ. previously my head of sixth form. <laughs> you can tell him that I thought his assemblies were rubbish, but now I realise he was finding his voice. Now, obviously, I'm partly reading I mean, that. first, that's not even a fucking question, mate. <laughs> that's just... Like, just... I'm, pa I'm partly reading that for comedy value because I was so thrilled that someone had gone, I'm someone from his old life. But also, I, d I did wonder whether the authority with which you carry yourself on stage was something that you learnt 
and and or developed in the classroom when you were a teacher? Uh, I think that there are. I think there's definitely transferable skills. You know, I think that um, you know you are trying to keep a group of people's attention for the duration that you're speaking when you're teaching and that's the same for stand-up so there are transferable skills I definitely think that and and you know I was ahead of six so you were doing this I was doing assemblies every week to like 200 200 plus students so and they were you know well I think Robin's been a bit harsh there but but they they, they were whatever they were and you've got to um you've got to all right is Robin in what the fuck? <laughs> um but I think that I don't think, what I would say is how I was in the classroom is nothing like, uh, how I am on stage now. I wasn't, you know, I'm, no, I wasn't like that. You sort of, it's difficult, isn't it? Because like when you were teach, when I was teaching, I was a maths teacher and I deliberately, I really wanted to be a maths teacher because I had a really bad maths teacher, um, at school and I developed a negative relationship with the subject as a result purely of how that teacher was. And so I wanted to be the opposite of that. And, and then you're all often delivering stuff to people that don't want to hear it. You know, adding fractions with different denominators. That's not getting year nines excited. You know what I mean? So you have to find a way of delivering that in an interesting way. Okay. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, 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 I do think you're sort of looking at ways of engaging people. Yeah. I just know that if I were to ever try being a teacher, I'm sure I'd be just squished on day one because I'd have gone in going, hi guys, I want you all to like me. This is going to be great fun. Whereas you do not have a percentage of that in your body. No, no, no. no and I certainly didn't. I don't think I had that as a teacher that I wanted the students to like me particularly. Um, I think that, uh, what's different about when I'm doing stand up to when I was teaching is I think a really important thing as a teacher is the students have to feel like you like them and you want them to do well. If you have that understanding, then they will accept anything from you. You know, if a teacher starts having a go at somebody about something and they don't believe that you have their best interests at heart, that's when you start to have problems. But if you're, if a kid really believes that you are invested in them succeeding, they will take any comments or criticism that you've got for them because they believe it comes from a good place. Whereas when I'm doing stand-up, I certainly don't think I give the audience any impression that I like them. You know, I, 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 I do think that's, that's probably the major difference. That's interesting because there is, whilst you're being either whatever that, that quality is, what we, I mean, is it disappointment? Is it frustration? What, how do you think of it? How do you think that the note is that you're most comfortable playing? Um, I think it's, I guess it's, I guess it's cynicism, sort of, I guess, about everything, you know, and, uh, and that's not a deliberate thing. I didn't think I'm going to go and be a cynical comic or anything like that. It's not a manufactured thing. It's not something that I, it's not happened by design or anything like that. It's just how, you know, I, I wasn't how I am now on stage when I first started. When you first start, you're just dicking around, desperately hoping that people don't throw shit, you know, so it's, it's a different thing. And, and, and I went through various, phases but none of those phases were deliberate i never thought i'm going to try it this way now i'm going to try it that way okay. i just went into gigs and my main aim was to make people laugh and then eventually you start to hone in on or zone in on uh what you're most comfortable with and actually i think a lot of people have said this on your podcast but what ends up being what you hone in on is very close to who you are actually off stage but actually it's very difficult to get to that point, to get to a point you're comfortable enough to be close to who you actually are on stage, I think takes a long time. So do you remember when you first started, what was the first room that you ever played? It was Pontin's Holiday Camp, and I was nine. So, so what happened was there was a, a talent competition. Okay. And um, I entered that talent competition as a stand-up. And, uh, was there any, uh, parental pressure on you to do this? No, no, no? uh, no. I just sort of, it's something I wanted to do. I sort of always loved comedy. Who like, were you listening to when you were nine? What kind of comics were you? Doing? Uh, I, I can't remember actually. I remember watching a lot of Lenny Henry on TV and stuff like that, but I don't know what my impressions of stand up were at that stage. I don't think I really knew. Uh, but I, and also, I didn't do it. But I have to admit, I didn't do any of my own material. I had a book, uh, three thousand and one jokes, and did I you take the book on with you? No, I didn't. I I, I gave. Oh. I had enough dignity to <laughs> memorise the stuff. Uh, and now, ladies and gentlemen, the dignified nine-year-old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, I did that gig. Um, I delivered it in, in, in an entirely Sri Lankan accent. 
for the whole act. I just thought, I thought I need an angle. Do you know what I mean? There's, uh, and uh, I thought I need something that's going to separate myself from all these nine-year-olds that are doing stand-up. What, what can I do? And so, uh, so yeah, I did it in entirely in a Sri Lankan accent. And uh, I won, but the other kids, they weren't bringing a lot to the table. I think there was somebody that was playing a kazoo Somebody else did a dance. It was shit. So, so it wasn't a massive triumph. So when you did, when you first did a stand-up gig, like yeah. a, you as yourself as a grown yes. adult doing stand-up, yeah. Um, what were the? What was the first moment that when you talk about zoning in on particular things? Do you remember yeah. the the, the flavour of the first thing that you went? Oh, hang on, that laugh was a bit richer. Yes, I think that. One of the things that I found very early on, I think, was that everything that I was doing that was closest to what I actually thought and was actually based in truth was working a lot more than anything I'd sort of manufactured for the purposes of, you know, when you're starting out, you haven't got the luxury of picking and choosing best bits. You just come up with stuff and hope to God that it works. Do you know what I mean? And so you don't, you, you can't be choosy. You haven't got the skills or the, or the, the the breadth of material or the experience to do that. So what was finding was there was some stuff that I just thought, oh, this would be a funny thing to say. And then there was other stuff that was actually based in stuff that happened or an opinion that I actually had. And very quickly, I found that the stuff that was closest to what I actually thought or what I actually had actually happened to me, that was the stuff that was working more. So, so very quickly, I sort of became more based in stuff that had really happened. Do you feel that happened to you sooner than it happens to most comics? If we're sort of in the, in the region of finding one's voice, yeah. do you feel like you, you fairly quickly went, this, this is it, it's just me? And was that, I mean, I imagine there would be a certain amount of, oh, well, this, this might be easier than I thought. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, no, I don't, I, I don't, I mean, it's very difficult. I don't know when other comics feel that they found it. And, and, and to be honest, I don't, I don't genuinely think I'm as good as I'm going to be. You know, I, I don't, I still don't know that I am the comic that I'm going to be going forward. You know what I mean? I, I still, I still, to be honest, I still think I'm quite shit. You know, that, that's the honest truth of it. And, um, and you know, I remember a few months into doing gigs, my wife actually, um, said to me, I don't know if you, really should be doing it because not because she'd come to a gig and was like fucking hell mate <laughs> but but what what had happened was what had happened was is I'd, I'd I'd been doing I was teaching I was doing gigs in the evening and I really go into a dark and I still do and I haven't been able to get rid of this is if it doesn't go well I just go into a really dark space and like really get really sort of down on myself and and really it's difficult uh i find it really difficult to deal with it even still now and uh and i remember coming home from a gig and you know i'd work the next day and i sat on the end of the bed just head in my hands and my wife was like what's going on and i said i was just shit they didn't go for this and i'm so shit at this i'm so shit at this and she said i don't know that you should be aspiring to do something that makes you feel like this so regularly do you know what i mean like you know Surely the whole idea of taking a risk and doing something is for something that makes you happy. You look fucking miserable, like you look more miserable than normal. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know that this is what you should be doing. And, and that was, and I do think that, um, I did, even though I, I think that, I think that early, the early on point was me realizing that stuff that was close to what I thought was funnier or certainly was funnier for me. I don't think I found my, what I, how I was going to be any quicker than anyone else. I did gig a lot. Like shitloads. Like probably, I think that's one thing. I did gig more than other people I knew that were starting around at the same time as me. I did. I get. I gigged a lot. Like probably too much. You know. Like in terms of for maintaining my effectiveness as a teacher, I probably. I probably did. I probably is there, did. Is there a year of a school in? Is it Horsham you were teaching in? Crawley. Crawley. Crawley, Crawley. Yeah. Was is there like a year that the, the lost generation? Because <laughs> you were really working on your skills at that point. There were times when lessons were being planned on the stairs on the way up to the class. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. Um, and it got to the point where the school actually had a word of me about it. Um, because, not because of what I was doing in the, in the classroom necessarily, because I think that if you are okay at teaching, you can be good in the classroom still. But it was all the other stuff, you know, like all the paperwork and all of that shit that I just didn't, um, I wasn't keeping on top of. And so yeah, there was a time when I was doing loads of comedy. And still a full-time teacher, 
that I really, and also I've got young children, you know, got young children as well, that I really start to think you cannot continue in the long term like this. It's impossible. It's not sustainable. Just on the subject of your kids, I've got another listener question from comedian Rob Beckett. Um, What's that prick one? (laughs) (laughs) He said, uh, we, this, I don't even phrase it as a question. We were talking around it. I saw it at the weekend. And he said, you've got to ask Ron. I said, what, what, what would you want to ask him? Uh, and he said, he's got three kids under five <clears throat> and he hasn't got a day off till 2017. <laughs> How the fuck is he doing it? I think what, I think I've set the bar so low for my parenting skills when I am at home <laughs> that my, that my wife doesn't feel it that much of a... Is that like yeah. doing the washing up and deliberately breaking yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of like the, the kids are actually getting worse the more quality time <laughs> you're spending with them. But do you, I mean, you must have an incredibly supportive wife. Yes, I do, I do. And, uh, you know, I... Uh, she's... Yeah, I've got, I've got to be honest, without sort of getting too sort of uh, wanky about it. You, you can do that here because, let's face it, you're never going to appreciate her on stage. Yes, yeah, true, true. <laughs> um, no, she's been, she's been absolutely amazing. And I don't think... I can't think of a... There isn't been a single time when she's said... Can you not go and do that gig? Or, or you know, I mean, fucking. You know, she was. She gave birth during the Edinburgh Festival when I was there doing a show. I mean, that Two is. Stars. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> that was very good, man. I've got, I, I wanted to get angry, but I thought, fuck me, smash that. That was. Um, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so my wife has been amazing. Yeah, she's been really, she's been really amazing about it. And, uh, it's hard when you first, uh, when you, the, the difficulty, I think the difficulty about it is, is when you first, when I first left teaching to just do stand up, times were, like we were struggling, you know, times were tough, you know, we were struggling to make ends meet. And, you know, it, I think if my wife at that point, when it was difficult, had turned around to me and said, I want you to stop doing this, I would have done in a heartbeat because obviously, family comes first but she didn't um and also the other thing that you do feel very guilty because it's not like i didn't have a job and then i tried 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 to do stand-up comedy i had a job and it was a it was a really uh reliable job and uh um and i was getting paid all right money at and then i've gone i'm gonna put everything at risk for this little vanity project do you know what i mean and so you do feel i did feel guilty um and but my wife never She's just very supportive, and I'm very grateful to her for it. As a new dad myself, I'm yeah. s- just starting. We were talking about it a little bit in the dressing room. I'm just starting to get into. Oh yeah, I could, I could, I could feel really guilty about this, about the amount of time away. Yeah, and touring, and you're yeah. on tour at the minute, doing 120 dates, something like that. Yeah, and. Yeah. Are any of those, how are you, are you trying to plan family time within the tour? Are you planning breaks so that you can be there? Yes. Um, and I think that, uh, that what you do is, uh, you, um, when I am at home, we are doing proper, like, family stuff. So it's not just I'm at home and we're slobbing around the house. We'll go and do proper stuff and we'll spend proper time together and we'll actively use that time. And you sort of, uh, you try and basically, because your time is limited, more limited than it otherwise might have been, you basically try and make that as good as it possibly can be. So this is Romesh, as well you remember. Um, just a joy. Just a joy. And there are so few. I remember after this was recorded, I was making a pilot of uh, uh, my kind of comedy game show concept, Everyone's a Comedian. And... Um, we were trying to find a high-status host, and the names on the table were so few. We went ahead with wonderful Rod Gilbert. Big love to Rod, who obviously is struggling at the moment, and we send him... We, I, I and everyone listening to this, all good-hearted people, send him all the love in the world. Brilliant, brilliant, Rod. Um, but between Rod and... Uh, who else? Who are your other high-status comedy hosts? Rod, Jimmy Carr, Romesh, Catherine Ryan... And that's sort of it. Like proper high status, I'm indestructible kind of hosts. So, uh, I mean, I'm sure there are more out there as well, but um, but very, very few. So really interesting talking to Rom here about um, exactly how he kind of uh, articulates his status on stage, which is not a phrase at all that he would use because he's much more down to earth than that. But if I like anything... Is pontificating. Um, so uh, other things happening at the moment, as I mentioned before, got some live stuff coming up. Come and see me at Vault Festival or Leicester Comedy Festival or at uh, Top Secret. I'm gigging more and more now. I'm kind of back on the gigging horse. Uh, I am 
uh, uh, spinning so many plates right now. The book, you see, that's a reminder going off there to remind me that one of the plates is about to fall off. Um, lots of exciting stuff going on. And I've been appearing on tons of other podcasts, some of which I can mention and some of which I can't. Um, I have been on uh, Sarah Keyworth and Mickey Overman's podcast. Thank F for that. Um, I've also just appeared on Reuben Kay's podcast, Come to Daddy. So I don't know when that's coming out, but it's a joy. I've not met Reuben before and he's an absolute hoot. Um, so uh, lots of stuff there. But the key thing, the key thing I'm pushing right now um, is that you come and see some of this live stuff, some of the live previews, because I really need need feedback on it because it is a difficult subject and I am making a real meal of it and I believe in myself but I need you to help me believe in myself so those of you who are already what we used to call super goldsmiths <laughs> about 14 years ago and somewhere out there uh, Ruth <laughs> a lovely comedy fan lady called Ruth remains super goldsmith 0001 the official first member of the fan club hello Ruth um so uh I need some super goldsmith in the audience to get the wind in my sails in order to climb this kind of mountain that I'm trying to climb with the new show. Uh, and I'm feeling very excited about it. So if you are at Vault Festival or, or, and on the 8th of March in uh, I'm gonna, it's sort of central London, as far as anyone outside of London is concerned, please come along and see me there. Details at stuartgoldsmith.com or via at ComComPod, or indeed, the, you know, Callum's been doing great work for me, chopping up stuff and whamming it out on the socials. So get yourself to Stuart Goldsmith Comedy on uh, Instagram Reels or TikTok, because there's some lovely little clips there. And I have been, as we know from my terrible memory, watching little 40-second or 30-second clips of me from a past I don't remember, and really cackling at the great material that I'd forgotten. So enjoy that as well. Here's Rob. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. And we were talking about your persona. Let's go back to that because I want to look at when you said the, the difference between who you were when you started yeah. and who you are now and who you might then get to be. Yeah. Looking back at your the two Apollo clips, that are one from the end of last year, one from the year before, yeah. I noticed already on the second one, you move more slowly. Right. On state in a good way. Not, I'm not saying right, you're okay, dying, yeah. um, but what I mean, do you know what I mean? I felt like you from that first one. It was like I felt like God. It must have been longer ago than 2014 because yeah. you you looked with with how you behave on stage now in yeah. mind. You look kind of pretty green. You were. You, yes. I mean, that must have been like. Was that your biggest gig at the time when you did that first? Oh, Apollo easily, show? fucking easily, man. Like it was, um, it was insane. It was like. I was really, really, it was head and shoulders above anything else I've been offered to do. So, like, probably what you're seeing there is somebody shitting themselves but trying to look like they're not. Jimmy, I, I think that's probably what it was. Whereas when I did the second one... Um, and you were hosting in the second yes, one. Yes, uh, yeah. Um, yes, I was. Um, but, on the, no, on the, se on the second one, I sort of, I guess, one, you've done it before. Do you know what I mean? And uh, so you know what to expect. Um and also, I just sort of, I guess I felt more, you feel more comfortable. And so, you know, when you're brand new, you're jittery and you're sort of grabby for laughs and, uh, you know, getting a laugh feels like, it, it feels like you're running across some barren territory and you're getting enemy fire. And whenever you hit a punchline, that's a bit of cover. 
you know what I mean? And when you're new, you're trying to get to those bits of cover as quickly as possible. Whereas I think as you get more experienced, you know those bits of cover are coming. Do you know what I mean? This is this analogy working? I'm, but, but, <laughs> but, but you know, I'm, I'm really keen for you to yeah, run with it and see yeah. if you can bring it home. But um, and so you're you're more relaxed in the way that you move through yeah. that. Yeah. Jesus Christ. No. That was good. I thought you were going to be like, but I gradually started wearing a bulletproof. You'd never do that. Oh, what an arsehole that would be. I discovered I'm fucking bulletproof. (laughs) Whenever anyone says something like that, that's the bit I'll be advertising the show with on Twitter. Three second clip. So in the, so in the writing, what does it look like when you write? Are you someone that sits down in a methodical way and goes, right, office time, I'm writing? What, is, what does it look like when you're writing? Uh, are you, and are you writing new stuff at the moment with the tour going on and the family? Are you still turning... I mean, presumably you're turning stuff over because you've got TV gigs, you've got specialist things you need to write. Um, I, I, uh, I will continue to turn over stuff as the tour goes on and, and I'll move it into the tour. And um, I think that, you know, when you're, when you're touring for that amount of time, um, you have to keep it sort of... A, I feel like I have to keep it fresh so that I'm interested in what I'm saying, you know. Because so you're turning over stuff on stage in the tour. It's not just a show that you're repeating. Well, no, when I'm not doing the tour, like, for example, I went to Up the, up the Creek and tried out new stuff, and then the stuff that works from that will make its way into the tour show, or okay. occasionally I'll drop stuff into the, the tour that I feel is... I, what I won't do is just, like, do long stretches of stuff that I'm not sure... I would never write something... Well, I might do, but I, I very rarely... Well, I'll write something that day and then throw it straight into the tour show. I want to be, I want to know that it's good enough because people are paid to come and see you. So I think you sort of, you want to make sure the show is really good. So that's why I did Up the Creek, for example. I do that, try the stuff out, and then there's stuff. But you're, but you're trying the stuff out. So once the stuff works, if you do it up the creek a couple of times, yeah. those kind of environments, yeah. it gets put in, what I'm sort of interested in is it gets, it gets put into the current tour yes. rather than saved for the next tour. Yes. So does yeah. that mean that the next tour will begin with this or similar stuff to how the, the current tour ends? Because it's not like this is show one and that's no, show two. No, no. But I don't, I won't take anything that I'm doing here into the next tour. No, I'll, I'll have a sufficient enough break. And I'll start from scratch with like blank page and start working. And what is for, for between now and the next 120 plus date tour, yeah. what do you think is a sufficient enough break that you can put together? I mean, are you doing two hours or two fifties? Uh, I'm doing at the moment, I'm sort of doing about 70, 75. And then it's sort of every so often it's incre- as the tour goes on, it gets longer and longer, basically. Okay. And what, do, how, how long do you, are you anticipating it taking to put together from scratch the next show? Uh, I don't know. To be sorry to you. sorry to frighten you with the idea. Yeah, yeah, you realise you're going to have to do it again, <laughs> yeah, don't yeah. you? Um, I don't know. Is the honest answer to that? I sort of when I did Edinburgh in the last time I did Edinburgh, it's 2014. Um, I I did my first show the year before, and then I thought I'm going to get straight on with the next Edinburgh show, and I started like working on it in sort of September, October, pretty much as soon as I got got back from Edinburgh. And I got these bits that I thought were really working. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, Ron, you're ahead of the game. And then I chilled out. And then in May, I was in exactly the same position. You know? and, and I thought, oh, shit, mate, you've uh, you've become complacent. Uh, and then I started working out. I, I, I don't I don't know. It's, it's if I've got a completely blank canvas, it'll basically how it works is... I will maybe one day go, right, I'm going to write 10 minutes today. I'm going to try and come up with a 10-minute routine. And then that night, I'll go to a club and try it out and see how much works. And it's very... One of the things I'm... One of the things I cannot predict to this day is how much of that stuff will work. So I might go and do 10 minutes and go, holy shit, like seven seven minutes of that is good to go. Not good to go, but it's got legs. But the next week, I'll go with stuff that I'm more confident about going into it. And I'll come back and go, well... You can keep hello, I'm Ramesh Ranganathan. But apart from that, <laughs> apart from that, mate, you've got nothing from that. You know? Do you do you have those moments when you're writing that you stumble upon something and you just think absolutely 100% confident that's going to work? Yes, uh, I do. Uh, I do. Like sometimes uh, you'll have an idea about something and straight away you think, I'd be very surprised if that isn't a goer. And... Uh, and yeah, and, and you go and do it and it's, it still needs, you know, polishing and stuff, but the actual idea is there. Uh, other times I will have an idea and you try the idea out. The problem I've got is that I don't, 
it sounds mental, but I don't write punchlines like in when I'm coming up with the new stuff. I will find something interesting. So, for example, I had uh, I had uh, a, a, a situation where I couldn't come up. I just was struggling to write stuff. I was just thinking, shit, man, I can't come up with anything. And I was talking to, do you know Bobby Mayer? Yeah. So yeah, Bobby yeah. Mayer said to me, Ramesh, you're, you're thinking about it too much. Just go and live your life and, and something will come to you. So I did. I stopped. I, 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 don't know if, I don't know if you know Bobby Mayer. That was an incredible Bobby Mayer. And uh, you can check that out by downloading Bobby's album. Currently <laughs> so I did that. I went, I just stopped thinking about it too much. And then I watched uh, Blackfish. I just had, just uh, just was sat down watching it. And, and then straight away I thought, oh, this is... This is something that I could, that I've got something that I want to say something about. And so I sat down and I thought, what do I want to say about this? But it wasn't jokes. It was like points. And then I went out that night and tried it out. And the, the, the good thing about that is you will start to, you're free and you're coming up with stuff. The bad side of that is there might not be a punchline in that whole thing. And then you leave with that room of people thinking that you are proper shit. But I, I think that's part of the risk, you know. Are, are you in a place now, profile-wise, where in the last... I feel like you've... Just over the last couple of years, 18 months, has just been explosive for you since appearing on Jonathan Ross. I think that was the moment when I, and I'm sure a lot of other people, went, oh, fucking hell, what? Well done. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. you just kind of... It's like a hop, skip and a jump. Oh, suddenly now you're, you're kind of not someone that's trying to get on stuff. You're like an asset. Yeah. And people are going... Yeah, well, it doesn't feel like that, but yeah. But Does it not? No, I don't think so. I think it's... BAFTA nominating. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you've heard of BAFTA, yeah? <laughs> uh, um, no. Um, but it, I would imagine it's about to start feeling like that. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I, so, I, I think I, I could, I'd still, I, I still, I don't feel much different okay. to, to, to before. So but the question is, when you, presumably you're now in a place that when you walk on stage to do some new material, yeah. there's a bit of a reaction. Um, I think, uh, like in, t- in terms of just for anyone, and I, I know you know what I mean, but for yeah. anyone listening who might not, that when, so we go, a bit of a treat for you now, it's Ramesh Ranganathan, there's enough people in the audience going, it's that guy I've seen be funny on TV. Yeah. That then that affects the, their reaction to you or the ride that they give you when you're trying to. Yeah, I, stuff. I, I guess like if people know who you are and then they think, oh shit, I wonder what the bit's going to be. But I think that buys you a minute or two. And then if it's really crap, then they settle down to, Thinking, I wonder how I'm going to construct this tweet about how this guy's shit now. (laughs) So, so I do think that although your initial response is good, I think that the stuff still has to be good. I I, I remember watching, um, I remember watching Michael Mackin. I did the, the, the Brighton comedy gala, like the opening thing for the festival. And Michael McIntyre was a surprise guest and everyone went nuts. And he was trying out stuff for, for talk, for the tour. And he, just waited until that had all died down and then started doing his stuff. And I thought it was very interesting. You know, he could have, what he could have done actually was ride that the whole way through his 10, 15 minutes and go, boom, thank, thank you so much. And then, and then leave, right? But, but, but. How what, were your assemblies cracked when your impressions? <laughs> but, but what, what he did was he let that settle because what he wanted to do was just really see how this stuff goes. Do you know what I mean? So I thought it was interesting. So when you're when you're writing, are you writing at a laptop on a? Are you writing in your head in your car when you're walking around? What what is? Uh, I will. I'm I'm pretty good at. I, I will decide that I'm going to sit down and write, and then I've got like a notebook. I've got so many notebooks, and I just open a notebook and go right. What do I think about this? And then, generally, what happens is is I will. So I'll have some ideas, and I'll go on stage with the piece of paper with the with the ideas or the notebook or whatever, try it all out, record it, and then listen to it sometimes, and then work out from that what bits I think have got legs and which bits haven't, and then I'll make a note somewhere else of the bits that worked. Okay. And then every now and again when I'm really desperate, I'll go back to the original. Like yeah, it. but when I'm really desperate, I'll go back to the original and again, there must be something else, like, please. Yeah, um, sure. But there often isn't. <laughs> so can you give us an example of the, the most recent bit you've been working on that you've sat down and written on or that you've walked out and said okay this isn't there's no punchline on it but here's the idea um yes uh yeah i yes can i yes um i uh i started uh i had this bit this bit i've been working on about uh religion and uh how i think it actually might be 
logical to be religious because the, the potential payoff is so incredible, you know. Uh, and so actually, why wouldn't you just do a bit of praying? You know, because, because it's eternal salvation. Like what an incredible, what an incredible lottery ticket. So, so that was the idea. Yeah. Uh, and then, so that's the initial idea. And then I and, that, and just, that, that idea, just to go right back to the beginning of that, that idea is like a fell into your head idea or watching a program about religion or musing, mulling it over somewhere? Because uh, that's, that's quite a good, that's like a fully formed premise to begin with, isn't it? Yes. I guess what I thought was is that I think, I can't tell you that this is definitely it, but I probably, this, I've got a vague recollection of seeing a post on Facebook about atheism and it pissing me off. And so I thought I'd quite like to say the opposite to that. And so then that's what the starting okay. point was. I am, that, that sort of sound, that I think that's probably what happened. Almost definitely. So then you take that idea on stage. Yeah. And they laugh at that idea as they, as people did here. Yeah. So then are you taking that off and trying to sit down and write and pull further ideas out of it now you know you've got something? Yes. Yeah. So, 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 so sometimes you, you come on with that idea. And uh, what happen, What happens to me a lot of the time is they will laugh at the initial idea, maybe, and then what I then go on to say is extremely disappointing. So, so, so then, so then, what happens is, is then you know that the initial idea has something in it, but you just haven't done it properly. Do you know what I mean? But you sort of go, well, okay, so there is possibly something in that, but I just haven't found it, <laughs> right? So, okay. So then I'll go back and work on it. But sometimes I'll present an idea and they'll go, no, nah, mate. And so then there will be no further development on that, and I will try and forget. There are some things that I've said that are so shit that I've actually thought maybe I shouldn't be allowed to continue doing comedy. You, you know, but I, I, but I think that you have to allow yourself to continue doing that. Do you know what I mean? That I totally agree with you. I really struggle with that myself. Yeah. And if you are someone who, like me, has moments of thinking. Oh Christ, like real, like you were saying before, the real dark moments of yeah. that you still have to this day. Yes, you said, yeah. even despite all of the logic, well, you know, let's, let's look at the actual material facts of how well you're doing. Yeah. How does that, how does that aspect of your life sit with trying new stuff, finding it disappointing? Do you know what I mean? What, how, how do you stay positive about that? When, what, what, with what strategies are you coping with the darker times? Um, the, the, I think str struggling with the darker times, it's sort of two things that you're sort of asking there, I guess, is struggling with the darker times, I just have to, I've just had to accept that it's something that I'm going to feel, I guess. Do you know what I mean? You sort of think. And these, these are creative ones or? No, it'd just be like, say, like... for example, uh, well, I guess everything, but like, you know, in terms of, of comedy, um, you sort of like think, you go through phases of thinking that you're really shit at it. And I'd go through, a lot of phases of that is, is a lot of my time is spent me thinking I'm not very good at it. And, but, but when you think, oh, that is how I'm going to feel, even though it still feels crap, you still just sort of deal with it in terms of, but what that does actually bizarrely is it helps the other thing because if you think you're shit, then you're massively desperate to get better. And so, so then you are trying out stuff. Then if it goes bad, you go, fuck, that was crap, but I've got to keep going at this because you are shit, mate, and you've got to stop being shit. And so that sort of actually bizarrely kind of fuels it. There's uh, an article I read in The Guardian that I think was promo for Edinburgh a couple of years ago, uh, where it's you and Sean Walsh interviewing each other as each other. Yeah. Great. I don't know if it's a series of them, but I really no, enjoyed one, reading yeah. it. And uh, so it's quite clear, or I've, I feel like it's clear reading it, that you know each other well, mm. and you're using that as an opportunity to really stab each other's weak yeah. spots. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Very, very worth reading. And uh, I noticed that one of the, the ways in which Sean attacks you yes. is he says he describes your material appearing cleverer than everyone thinks it is. <laughs> is, that, is that a fear of yours that he was picking up on, or is that a sort of a random attack? Uh, no, I think it's a... No, I, I think that the... I think... He, I think I'm thick. You know, like, I, I, I have this ongoing sort of uh i guess i don't think i'm that i don't think i'm that intelligent is the honest truth you know i don't think i'm massively intelligent and so the concern is that sometimes you think have i really got the uh chops to talk about this you know for example religion is a big topic it's a big thing and it's very personal to to, to people 
And so it feels like maybe it's a bit, you know, there'll be part of me that thinks it's maybe a bit arrogant of you to think that you can pontificate about this on stage. But but that as a comic, you have to get over that yes. arrogance well, or kind of embrace it and go, I'm going to do it. I'm yeah, gonna... but, but I would drop it if it's not funny. So it has to be funny. I don't think, you know, if it's funny, then I'll go with it. But if it's not, then it's got to go. I don't think that I am... I don't think we've got any right to an ex- to express an opinion on stage unless it's funny. Uh, you know, I don't. I, I just think if I express an opinion and it gets a laugh, or that my 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 exploration of that of that opinion gets laughs, then it's then I'm justified in saying it. But if it doesn't, if I'm if I think oh, it's really important to talk about religion, I'm pissed off about militant atheism, and I start talking about it, but it's not getting a laugh, then I'm never going to say it again. You know, I just don't. So with that in mind, when you went on Question Time. Yeah. How did you feel? How, what state were you in going in? <laughs> what state were you in going into that environment whereby you are there with professional arguers who are yes. all rightly or wrongly consider themselves informed and have a lot of opinions <clears throat> rightly or wrongly, which they think back up their stance? Yeah. And you're going into that. And you, I mean, we've all seen comics do well on Question Time. And I guess we've all seen comics appear out of their depth. Yeah. What were you, did you have a similar thing in mind of like as long as I can be funny, then I'm worth being there, or was it more important to you to say what you wanted to say? I think I think question time is a is a different it's a different beast. You know, you know, you know I'm not there to sell tour tickets. I, I can't imagine. It that... must be such a hard gig because you're being introduced as and now the comedian. Yeah, but if you just do gags, what's the point of the business? Well, I, I think that. Um, the the thing about doing something like Question Time is if you're not funny, people will say, how's this guy a comedian? Yeah. And if you are funny, people will go, why is he trivialising the issues? So it's a very difficult one to play as a comic. The truth is, is that when I first got asked to do it, I was concerned that, about exactly, you know, the concerns that you've explained that, you know, maybe I'd be out of my depth. I had a chat with them and, and I sort of... I do read the papers, you know, like so I didn't feel like it was... I didn't feel like it was, I was going into something that, that was, that I was going to be like, holy shit, they've mentioned something I've got, you know, th- there's always that slight fear, but I, I held opinions on everything that's going on at the moment in the country. So I sort of thought, well, let's just do that and, and see how it goes. And it might go really horribly wrong and it might not, but I guess let's So just you say. were fairly sanguine going into it. You weren't thinking. Yeah. I think that, I think that I, uh, Knew, trusted myself to say exactly what I thought and stand or fall by whatever that might be. Do you know what I mean? And given that your material isn't overtly political, yeah. although you say you're not on there to sell tour tickets, yeah. it does, was an appearance on there. Did they ask you or did your people ask them? No, like, was that asked. part of a, a strategy? No, no, God, fuck no, 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 it was, uh. This guy's gonna get nominated for a BAFTA. <laughs> yeah, Let's yeah. make sure he's got some tough political, uh. Yeah, no, 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 it's not part of any, not part of any strategy. It was just, they, they have this thing, don't they, where they invite, like, non-politicians on. And I was one of, and, you know, many people get asked, many people turn it down and, um, uh, because they don't, because you know, because of the things you talked about, or because they just don't want to talk about politics or express their views on on television, and I and I got asked to do it, and I thought the truth of it is, you want to know the honest truth of it is, it wasn't part of a plan. I just thought it'd be quite a cool thing to do. You know, it's exciting be on Question Time. I watch Question Time a lot. I'm going to be on it. It's a risky thing, but what a cool thing to do. I just thought that's it. There was no, it was not part of any master plan. I can't imagine anyone thought, holy shit. Well, I'm sure he's got an opinion on the junior doctors. I wonder what he's like talking for 75 minutes. You know I, mean? like, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I can't. I didn't go into there thinking that was going to happen. You you have a joke that I think was in the the more recent Apollo appearance about being treated as a the punchline is I'm a bloody representative. Yes, you're talking about the fact that you know you feel quite a lot. I don't want to butcher the bit. Yeah, but I will. Um, you you're talking about um the fact that as an Asian man, in, as a British Asian man. If you bump into someone, then you could, you know, your opinions, you're such a git that you could push them over the edge if they were considering racism. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's such a, such a muscular bit that I can do it badly and still get a great laugh. So, so well done. Um, so is there an extent to which you do feel like you're being asked to be a representative? Or now that your profile is high and getting higher, that you are going to, people are going to come to you for their 
their idea of what it is you do? Um, no, I don't, I don't ever think of myself as a representative. I mean, that, that bit that you talk about, uh, comes from a thing where I just thought, it's just that people make judgments. Basically, my dad ran a pub, right? Um, and he ran a pub in quite a white village. And he was like, the only, it was, it was weird having a brown guy live there. And it was also weird having a brown guy that's the landlord of the local pub, right? And what would happen is, is that I noticed that people were for, people in that pub that had very few interactions with ethnic minorities were basically forming a, a dossier on what they thought about ethnic minorities based on purely on their interactions with us, right? And, 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 and I just thought it was quite an interesting thing that that just doesn't happen to, to, to white people, you know, like in this country anyway, right? Is that if I met seven white guys in a row that were massive bellends, I would still not go, white people are bellends, aren't they? But I, I think that if, if people in that pub had thought that my dad, me and my brother were dicks, I could imagine them going, well, Sri Lankans are tossers. I could tell you that. Yeah, from, I could tell you that from personal experience. Everyone that I've met has been dog shit. There you go. Do you know what I mean? So I just thought that's, but in terms of being a representative, um, no, I don't consider myself to be representative. I, I, I do think that, you know, when I did Asian Provocateur, um, I didn't think of myself as a representative, but I did think that that was a show that was exploring an experience that lots of people have in this country. And so I thought maybe it will be interesting, but I certainly didn't go into it thinking I'm now the representative for second generation, you know, immigrants or whatever. You know, I just thought I'm just going and doing this thing that, you know. Do you ever have a concern when people are laughing at your impression of your mum's accent? Yeah. Are you ever concerned that some of them are laughing in a different way to how other people are laughing at it? Uh, no. Someone, I, I, I want to credit a listener. I was thinking about yeah. these two, these specifically. Yeah. a listener called Matthew Cook who said he saw you in Scunthorpe. Yeah. And he, he felt that some of the, and I don't know, I guess he's white, who knows. Yeah. Um, he said that he thought some of the crowd were just laughing at a funny, like the but, but, ding, ding, funny accent. Yeah. And the head wobbled. That when you do that bit of material, that it's kind of like... It's uh, if you haven't seen me, that is not the whole act, <laughs> by the way. I don't... Uh, I, I used to think... You know, you... But... It is by no means the whole act, but it is a huge laugh in yeah. the act. And it is framed as... I mean, the, the premise of the bit is some people are so elderly in this country, you can forgive them a bit of racism. Yeah. You know, I almost could throw in a head wobble, which you then do throw in a head wobble, and yeah. woof is an enormous laugh. Has that ever given you cause to to think about how that bit is is being received? Uh, no. No. Um, I think that... I do think that is a genuine... I do think it's a valid point that... Um, is it Matthew that Matthew's making? Is it Matthew? Yeah. Um, I do think he's got a valid point. You know, maybe he did feel like that. I don't know. Um, well, he did feel like that. He said he felt like that. But, um, <laughs> but what I, what I think is, is that I will do it if I feel justified that the, that the, the, the joke isn't purely me doing the act. So the actual, you know, I, I'm making a point and yes, that is a bit of a garnish to it. But I'm doing that to illustrate the point, and maybe I'm wrong in that. You know, I'm not saying I'm infallible, but that's how I feel. I wouldn't ever do it just for the hell of it. I would do it if I, you know, certainly if you're an ethnic minority comedian, there is that question of how much do you talk about your race and your act? You know, people, you will always get criticized, I think, for either not, you know, not referencing it at all or referencing it too much. And, um, that's always a concern. But my personal rule has always been if I think the idea is strong enough, and I think the joke is good enough, then I will do it. I would, I would, don't think I would do it gratuitously, but I'm fully prepared to accept that that might be the case. You know, I did have a bit, I had a bit in my first show where I talked about being in a barber shop and this guy assuming that I was an immigrant, right? He sort of, um, I'd said something about it being hot and he said, oh, bloody hell, you lot, you come over here and then you complain about how hot it was. And then I sort of respond to him. And I remember at some gigs, people were laughing at what that guy was saying to me. And then I thought, oh, shit. Like, mm-hmm. they agree with him. Do you, do, do you know what I mean? And so I remember being like thinking, holy shit. But I can't be held responsible for how everybody's responding to that. All I can be responsible for is my justification for doing it. 
Ben Mumford says, what's it like being a chubby vegan? That's rude. We're not having that. Never mind. Fucking hell, um, mate. I wanted to... Uh, we're, 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 nearing, we're nearing the time when we must wrap up. I knew it would be worth doing that. You loved um, it. Look I his, loved it. Look at his face. I loved oh, it. prick, man. I would never have done it. I was. Yeah. I, I met Ed Gamble earlier on today, and I said, look, I've got these questions, and he said, you've got to do that. So <laughs> I, I said, I said, it's full. Talk to me about, um, about fearlessness on stage, because you are, you used to be a rapper, as is a matter of public record. Yeah. Ranger the Lazy-Eyed Assassin. Yes. Fucking great name. Thank I'd you. like to think I'd have bought that if Thank I saw you. that in his Yeah, day. yeah, yeah. Sold a few copies in Horsham. <laughs> <laughs> and your rap battle on the, uh, I can't remember what the name of the thing, I think it's just called Comedy Rap Battles, when you and uh, oh, Donnelly. Comedy Rap Battles with Donnelly, Comedy yeah. Rap Battles, when yeah. you, which was so much fun to see. Uh, there's a lot of these things, you can find them on YouTube, I forget the name of the production company, but if you search Comedy Rap Battles, you find them. Um, you versus Carl Donnelly, he goes first. And is, as 99% of comedians who do it is reading from a list of pre-prepared quasi-rhyming put-downs. Yeah. And then you're like, you stand there in your hoodie with your bag, with your, uh, uh, your, your man bag. Yeah. And, and genuinely freestyling? Yes. Yes, I was. But, um, what I would say is, and it's, if, if, when you watch it, if you do go to watch it, you will see this quite clearly, is that what Carl was doing, was actually good. You know, he had put some thought into it. And what I did was talk about his mum. And, 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 and so. It, it rhymed. Yeah, it, it did rhymed. rhyme. But actually, quality wise, I would argue that what Carl did was a lot better. But what I did was try and play to the audience. If you're talking about someone's mum, how can you lose? But you know, that's. You were improvising about someone's Yes, I was. You, yeah, hadn't yeah. Re- you hadn't pre-written that? No, no. So as someone who can freestyle, I'm in awe of that. In the same way as I suppose, uh, the, the civilians, uh, are, can be a bit in awe of comedians. Like, oh my God, how could you do that? I think a lot of comedians go, fucking rap battling. Holy yeah, shit. But that, but you know, that wasn't, you know, it's not proper freestyling what we're doing. We're doing like, a gag and you know it's not like there was a beat running and like it's not like properly like eight mile it's two pricks having a go at it do you know what I mean it's like so it wasn't I wouldn't say that means I can freestyle it was just sort of in the moment you know it's not there's not a beat running you're doing a cappella. there's a crowd it's not I don't think it's the same but I think sure but I think that's because you're calibrated for knowing how actually scary actual freestyle would be it is whereas to as far as everyone else is concerned you're in that kind of different place of oh yeah I'll just you know, I'll just, I'll just throw together a freestyle rap where I'm not going to flop and I'm not going to die on my ass. I'm going to. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I don't I, know. I just, I'm just interested in that, that aspect of comedy, which is about fearlessness. And I, I sort of, I think in many ways, your, your kind of comedy genetic makeup as ex teacher, yeah. ex rapper, it's sort of, it's quite easy to imagine you going into something like Question Time going, yeah, I'll try this. In a way that I think a lot of comedians would go, I'm really not sure. Yeah, no, but the truth is I wasn't sure, you know, and um I wasn't sure about question time just because uh I'm not, you know, I don't think that, you know, I don't think I'm massively qualified to do it, but I think it, within the remit of being a non-politician, I feel that I've got enough opinions on stuff that it'd probably be okay. But that's not to say that I wasn't shitting myself before I went on, you know. Um There's always the fear... That somebody will mention, or sort of go, and uh, I'd just like to ask about the Malawi Agreement of 1979 and how that pertains to the current taxation policy in Ghana. And then David Nimble would go, Romesh. And then, and then <laughs> like, there's, <laughs> do you, there's always that fear, do you know what I mean? But do you feel that he was, do you feel that Dimbleby was kind of part of his job as host must be, don't make the comedian look like a bad booking? <laughs> Uh, maybe. I think, I think obviously they, they will, they didn't explicitly say this to me, but it's, what they're doing is that they're looking after you a bit more than they would do the, the politicians. It's not your job to, to be informed and eloquent and come up with the figures for anything that comes up in the moment. That's not my job to do that, you know. Um, and so I think that, yeah, I think that, that, that they look after you. Do you know what I mean? They, they, they're, they're great. They're very. They express their gratitude very openly for you coming on and doing the show, and they look after you. And they made what was, a, you know, a very nerve-wracking experience, you know, quite a pleasant one. So, 
One more thing on writing, which is, that do you, do you recognise certain tropes in your own writing? Do you ever find yourself, like, the, you're, you know, you're, you've written several hours now um, of material, also equivalent on tour shows, if not hours and hours. Um, do you find yourself ever, do you ever look at a bit and go, That's it, I'm doing that thing that I do again? Yeah, I think, I think you, yes, I do. I, I, do. I do. You do find that because you've got the same attitude. Sure. To everything. And is that a problem though? I mean, I released the Jimmy Carr episode today, yeah. part one of that, and I put that to him, and he said, Oh, yeah, yeah, all the time. Don't worry about it. Do you know what I mean? That you kind yeah. of like, Yeah, you're turning over a, a thousand attempts at a joke a year. Yeah. It's going to happen. But yeah. I think with someone that's not like an explicitly one liner person, it might be more problematic if you go. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think that happens a little bit with sort of, uh, your attitude towards something, you might think, well, that's the same sort of thing as I've said before. But the, the other thing I find, the biggest problem I find actually, is that I talk about a topic and then the next year I think of a lot of better things I could have said about that topic and then think, shit, I wish I hadn't dealt with that topic last time and I tried to do it this time. Because you sort of get better, don't you? I Hopefully you get better as you go on. Well, in the way that Jim Jeffries goes, okay, every show is going to have 20 minutes on religion. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. he's always got another 20 minutes yeah, of things yeah. to say so, about religion. So sometimes I think that um, I worry about that. But I think that uh, I think that you can worry about those things too much. I think you can overthink it. I think you just you trust in yourself that it's good and you keep pushing yourself and, and then hopefully everything else takes care of itself. When you left school, did you feel confident you wanted to be a comedian at the time? No, I, I, I didn't. Uh, that Pontins uh, gig was... <laughs> who, who books that, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> that Pontins gig was just a one-off thing. I didn't think I must at some point build up on the momentum from from that. But but I, I left... To be honest with you, man, I, I left school uh, without... I didn't, wasn't even considering doing stand-up as a, as a career because... I just didn't think you could, I just didn't think it was within the realms of possibility. And even when I started doing stand up as a teacher, um, I still didn't think I was definitely going to do it for a job. I still just didn't, I just it was so difficult to be doing this as a job. Um, that it hadn't occurred to me until later on. And then I thought, oh, maybe I could do it as a job, but it wasn't like, I wasn't, I didn't always have this comedian thing on the back burner think I'm going to go to that career eventually. That wasn't, no, it wasn't part of a grand plan or anything. Curveball, you look great in purple and you're always wearing purple. Have you seen a stylist? Uh, no, uh, no, I haven't. But I'll tell you what did happen, right? This is, this is, this is, I'm glad you've mentioned, well, I'm not glad because it's quite an embarrassing story. But what happened was is when I was doing, um, when I was doing, I think it must have been like my, yeah, first Edinburgh solo show, um, my, uh, I went and got some photos done and, uh, my, I, I went to see my agent after. She, she'd been sent the photos, my agent at the time, and she said, uh, these photos are unusable because of what you're wearing is so terrible. Right? So, so, and, and I looked through the photos and I was like, yeah, I look like shit. And it was a really horrible journey home because I was wearing like a, I had, <laughs> <laughs> you looked like you were looking to see if anyone else was wearing it. <laughs> I had this sort of like what I, I just basically had chosen the wrong shit, like, like for that photo shoot. And it happened to be that I'd taken a lot of terrible outfits. And so there was a series of photos where I looked shit in one thing and then I changed into something else and I looked shit in that. So it's variations of shit, 50 shades of shit. So, so then I went home and I was really a bit gutted about it. And I said to my wife, you know, my agent said to me that my clothes are like shit. And she goes, yeah. <laughs> and I said, what is this a thing? She goes, yeah, like you never dress well. And, and then I thought, oh, fuck. So, so then I, then I said to my wife, help me, help me, help me wear some clothes that do not render a photo shoot unusable. And, <laughs> and she did. When you were working as a teacher, did you try out any of your material on your students? Uh, Is Sorry, go on, I'll let you on. No, go on, you say. Well, I was going to say, I don't imagine that you did, but are there any, like, is there almost like a, like a one-liner or some sort of a thing that you carried with you from then or a particular technique? 
but perhaps you, you know, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, um, no, I didn't. The answer, the, the, the answer, the short answer is no, I didn't try any stuff, but I did do, I did, I, occasionally I did things that were inappropriate. I'll just wait till I finish. <laughs> and that's all we got time for, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Basically, it's not, it's not a very funny, it's not, I don't think this story is very funny, but it is an example of me misjudging a situation. So we had every so often we had uh, uh, we had an assembly where one of the forms, the, the the registration groups, would deliver the assembly. So they plan something and do it. So it was Valentine's Day, and so they did um, <laughs> they did an assembly about Valentine's Day, right? And had all sorts of figures about. Uh, how the, the, the amount of contraception that gets bought around Valentine's Day increases. And then they were talking about other bits and pieces. And then I, and then I had to finish the assembly, like give any notices and stuff. And just, I thought it was funny. I said, I think it's interesting sequencing that they talked about the contraception sales immediately before talking about people buying Valentine's stuff for their pets. Because, uh, uh, and <laughs> I just said it as a funny thing that happened in the moment. And then when I looked across the hall, like, the six formers were laughing, but one of my colleagues was going... <laughs> and, like, I sort of... <laughs> I sort of, sort of realised that I shouldn't have done that. Do you, do you know what I mean? So there's, you know, that's sort of a, a thing where you sort of look... I guess you're looking for a funny... But the, the problem I had was that... Um, when I first started, I had, uh, you know, I was doing open mic gigs and I started to run a gig. My dad said to me, because I was complaining about not having enough stage time, he said, just run a gig at the pub and you can host it. It's an easy way of getting stage time. So I started putting on this gig at my dad's pub and students would turn up. And, and I remember some of the gigs, it would just be six formers and it'd be like an assembly, but bluer. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it was like, it was mad. It was really mad. Ladies and gentlemen, please thank Mr. Romish Ranganathan. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.